Welcome to a Friday edition of the Weekend Sports Cars. We have Graham Goodwin in Italy, as it's known around yep. our house, also known as Italy. We have yours truly, Marshall Pruitt, in California, IA. We're ready to use all the great questions you have sent in on IMSA, the WEC, Asian Le Mans Series, European Le Mans Series, the Le Mans Series, Le Mans Series, uh, the ACO Series, the Every Series. We have some general questions. We have some fun questions. All brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. DailySportsCar.com's spiritual animal. Graham Goodwin, <laughs> tell us how life is in Rome. And uh, did you just get home from uh, a fine dinner at, say, Pizza Hut or Olive Garden? Uh, it might just have been a Big Mac, to be honest with you, because it's been a long, it's been a long, it's a big, big Mac and uh, stuffed olives. Um, but uh, yeah, the motorsport games, the FIA motorsport games, Jean Tot's uh, answer to the Olympic Games here at Vallelugna, uh, just outside Rome. Uh, we've always said at DSC there are two sides to Italy. There's Prettily, Tuscany, the fantastic mountains, you know, the the hills, the lakes. Venice, Verona, all that fantastic classical architecture. So that's prettily. And then there's shittily, which is the rest of it. This is shittily. Uh, not uh, classic Rome. There was actually a um, opening ceremony in the centre of Rome last night, which involved uh, Tom Christensen turning up in the original Quattro, a four-horse chariot. And no, I'm not kidding. 33 race cars doing nine kilometres on Rome's city roads in front of the Colosseum, etc. Unfortunately, the edge was taken off that uh, spectacle with torrential rain that literally flooded out the uh, the massive light show that was planned to actually complete the evening, which is a real shame. But good fun here. Pro-Am, GT, touring car, drifting, karting, um, and, uh, and uh, a, a computer simulation uh, trophy. And this is a marker for what the FIA wants to do probably every couple of years after next year um, with multiple disciplines of motorsport. So it'd be interesting to hear what Jean Tot's got to say when we sit down with him tomorrow about this. But for now, it's a holiday in a McDonald's. It's all, it's all glamour, this motorsport, MP. Oh, you're, you're, you're killing me here, Goodwin. Um, <laughs> this, this whole concept as well. I mean, bless good old Jean... Uh, it sounded like hot garbage when it was announced. It sounds like hot garbage in practice, and so we'll have to see. I don't know if uh, our man, Mr. Christensen, showed up just naked uh, with a little scabbard around his, maybe a belt, some something like that, a little crown of thorns around his head, uh, olive like, leaves, fig like leaves. I'd like to think not. I mean, it, it really was the original Audi Quattro, wasn't it? Four horses, and hopefully not the apocalypse. But uh, TK is the Drivers' Commission president of the FIA, uh, was there to welcome these teams. And a few names, by the way, a few names amongst these guys. One or two people you'd have recognised. Christina Nielsen is here, representing Denmark as a Nations Cup. Spencer Pompelli is here as part of the Team USA GT effort. Um, it's got something... It's going to take a while to bed in, and certainly Vallelugna uh, in November with uh, what has been torrential rain this afternoon has not helped. Mm. Well, speaking of help, we need yours <laughs> to determine which category we start with this week, as we do every week, as the official selector of I our think... Weekend Sports Cars <laughs> categories. Where do we go first? 
I think last week we went for uh, good friends at the ACO. This week we're going to start with IMSA, and that means it's going to be me um, hurling baseballs at you uh, like some kind of frenzied animal. And we're going to start off with Chockophile on Twitter, who says, following the John Doon announcement, there was a flurry of congratulations to the paddock, the press, the public, etc. He didn't see anything similar from Mazda's manufacturer com- competitors at DPI. What has been their reaction uh, from IMSA's manufacturer partners? Revolt. Complete revolt. <laughs> uh, they're threatening to not turn up for any races next year. I would be lying if I said I've heard a lot. What I have not heard is loud criticism or negativity or even private criticism. And that, I would say, is maybe the best metric, Graham. You'll tend to hear the grousing if people if people feel it and think it. This is not a sport where opinions are kept quiet. It's almost like we have a show each week where we talk about things because people oh, yeah. are very passionate about their views and whatnot and... I would not want to portray things as all of the folks who were Dunin's rivals a few weeks ago now just being perfectly pleased. But he is someone who has had more fans than detractors among his rivals. So I think there's a, a good causal situation here where, yeah, not a lot of complaints so far, but we're also in those early happy days of the marriage, right? I mean, two weeks in, whatever the exact timeline is, it's not as if there's been time to do anything major that you would say is wrong, controversial, or otherwise. So we're in that happy phase. Wait until something major is announced that strays from the norm. That's when we're going to hear either the uh, the raucous sounds of dissent or folks saying, oh, great, glad we have someone new in there. So just not at the stage yet, frankly, where even for those who might have opinions. It's great. It's bad. Those are meaningless. Really, it's a an action-oriented thing. You have to see what happens, what he does, to form a real opinion based on experiential content. Uh, fair point. And uh, let's wait and see just exactly what happens when we do get to one of those more divisive uh, matters. Next up is the is Peter Mackay, who says, you've got three questions, really. What are the chances of Rizzi... Uh, uh, Ferrari full-time return in IMSA. What about Maya Shanks 57? Are they returning to the same lineup? And what do we know about Ford and the GT going on to race from here in private hands at IMSA? On the first topic, very slim chances of the Reese folks coming back to full-time unless a significant change in approach and budget friendliness takes place on behalf of Ferrari. When Reese was a full-time, long-time, full-time presence in the American Le Mans series, even in the first couple of years when we came here to what we now have as the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, was a certain Italian manufacturer that was underwriting lots and lots and lots. That has changed. It's now been, what, at least in 2019 form, open the season. Close the season. They obviously won Petit Le Mans, which is great. It's a, a track where they have some considerable success to draw from. But overall, for where we're at right now, uh, it's scraps. It's table scraps. So would not expect that to change unless Ferrari decides it is going to change. 
we look at the 57 Heinricher Racing Acura with Meyer Shank Racing, do you believe that the deadline, decision time, what are you going to do next year? I believe that's coming. Might have already been here, but we're in that phase where <laughs> Graham Weir two months away from the roar, <laughs> which is mandatory if you're going to compete at the Rolex 24. I mean, we're two months away. So while it might sound like there's plenty of time here at the beginning of November, indeed there is not. So looking forward to getting an update from the team here, hopefully very soon on that entry. And after that, I have forgotten the third team. It was Ford and any Ford. private yes. Ford. Yes, uh, another topic that I need to do a bit of chasing on, a bit of following up on to get a feel for what's realistic. I know Ford believes that we will have one or more customer cars, privateers with some layer of factory support, at least at Daytona, maybe at Sebring. I don't want to throw a wait and see at it, but I will say that For those who do decide they want to, must compete in a Ford GT as a privateer, it's going to be an interesting thing to learn about, Graham, if the numbers that I've heard to field such an entry, to get their hands on a car, to buy a car, to go do this, the numbers that I've heard, which are... (laughs) uh, Very significant? uh, you could run a full season of LMP2 for the price of acquiring a Ford GT. Forget all yep. the racing and stuff. Just simply getting it into your shop. So, yeah, um, I hope it happens. Who, who wouldn't? Uh, and I look forward to meeting the folks that have the money to do it because they have been far more successful in business than I have. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's about all I know so far. Right, well, that's that one. Um, TF1NB from Twitter last week mentioned Suzuka and the, the, the potential WC uh, uh, race with Honda owning that track. Honda is Acura. Um, Acura is actually Honda. That's the other way around. Uh, they're currently in DPI. Is there anything on Toyota um, or and or Lexus in DPI 2.0, because, of course, Toyota are one of the two definite OEM takers for Hypercar. It's been a fluctuating thing. I've written about it. You've written about it. Many of us have written about it in the last couple of years since DPI came online. They have seemed very in, then heard they are very out. The most recent phase I have heard is it would be a surprise if there was not a Lexus DPI in 2022. So okay. I will just caution dear TF 11 zero B since this has been a cyclical item with Lexus and I have a great affinity for Lexus and what they do here in North America. I truly hope that that will happen, but I do know that it has gone up and down and up and down in terms of reality. So if we're in a happy phase now, I can't guarantee it's going to stay. Here's the the question, though. If the other kind of uh, uh, strand that we've had in global prototypes comes to pass and we get to the point where Toyota have got the opportunity for a globalized version 
of one or the other, does that affect what happens in 22? Is that actually something into the mix? If you've got a, a potential Lexus customer program with um, with DPI2 and you've got a Toyota hypercar, what do they do? Is this two completely separate parts of the business? I would have to believe so, knowing that TRD, Toyota Racing and Development, here in the U.S., long established, as we hear Rocky meowing and complaining in the background, he wants to be fed. Uh, sorry, pal, you're going to have to wait a little bit here. Uh, we're talking about sports cars. Far more important than your need for sustenance, pal. Um, TRD here, they are a well-established, many decades-old entity. Uh, they, by and large, service Toyota's NASCAR involvement, but this is also a company that has some very, very smart folks attached, and those with Formula One experience, uh, top-tier IndyCar, sports car, it is a diverse group that knows a whole heck of a bunch about a lot of things, not just going round in circles with big blaring V8s uh, in stock cars. So would say that while it might seem like something to come out of Cologne, Germany, uh, on more of the European Toyota factory motor racing side, I would not be surprised if whatever was commissioned provided something happens with Lexus here in the U.S. If this does happen more uh, directly with the team uh, and more on the TRD side than coming out of Cologne. So I would see things, Graham, if this does happen 2020 or, you know, in this 2022 scenario of Lexus and DPI and Toyota and Hypercar, just see those as the two different houses racing in obviously one important North American market, but also uh, the very important international sports car venue as well. Uh, Status Coco actually asks uh, something else to do with car car and DPI. Uh, this time, uh, shall we expect any wild card appearance for DPI at Le Mans 24 Hours Unrestricted? No, I think is the answer on that one. And on the other hand, a car car possibly just demo runs at Petit Le Mans or earlier. Um, I, I can talk to that one if you like. Uh, also, any chance a current DPI car might race without BOP restrictions somewhere and go full out attack mode? I think there's a lot of romance in that one, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, there's there's the overriding here, Stathis, which is the overriding item here is it truly depends where this relationship evolves. Yep. And as we have said for a little while now, the possibility of some form of DPI and hypercar formulas playing together thing at Le Mans has come back up as a warmer concept. I still <laughs> always reserve the right and expectation for that to uh, for that shit to hit the fan and uh, our friends in France to change their minds and all that to go away. It seems like, feels like the things we're hearing is that the idea of, hey, well, maybe it could work. Maybe we're not going to blend hypercar and dpi or try and do some sort of merged formula but just you got yours we've got ours let's see if we can put them on track together and maybe they get yep. points in their own championship within that race or you know they're scored differently uh, in, instead of in the same class maybe that's something we could do if that moves forward i think we could see all kinds of fun stuff i think a hypercar 
demo run at Petite or wherever else could certainly happen under that collegial agreement if we revert back to the, all right, you stupid Americans, we're not doing your thing, we're doing ours, and keep your thing away from us, I would struggle to see how IMSA would say, sure, bring your hypercar over here and let it run at one of our events. So uh, that's maybe a a broad answer, Stathis, but there's just this tenuous thing. This is despite many words being said that give the impression of happiness and partnership and all kinds of wonderful, it's a just unified thing across the Atlantic ocean. This just strikes me frequently as a relationship of convenience and is always ripe for divorce. And there's lots of separation and then getting back together. You know, there's lots of divorce certificates and marriage certificates between the same parties getting written up and filed and torn up might be in a happy place. Now would love to see it stay in a happy place. Now we'd be silly to at least not temper our expectations for things to go sideways again, and then maybe come back. I don't know a a stable marriage. It is not fair point. Uh, Mark Hurd on Facebook asks with the alleged reported move of Jordan Taylor to Corvette Racing and the corporate vibe that Corvette Racing gives, could this be the death of Rodney Sunstorm? I would not think so because Rodney Sunstorm does nothing that should be a concern to those at Corvette Racing because while it hasn't been for the factory Corvette effort, the Wayne Taylor racing team was the original development team for the new Cadillac DPI. Jordan's father, Wayne has been as close as close can be with the brand for decades. Now, this is just something where the Taylor boys have grown up more or less within the GM family. And, uh, they all know one another. So, I don't believe that the Sandstorm character, which is fun and irreverent and brings a surprising amount of attention, would be something that got trimmed as a result. If he was doing, you know, X-rated things and cursing up a storm and, you know, pounding bottles of whiskey and whatnot in this character's form, then yeah, that might be something that got dialed down. But I just can't imagine anything would uh, be censored there or taken away just for practicality sense. So we know that most people that buy Corvettes tend to be a little bit older. Obviously they aren't cheap. They're not expensive surprisingly, but uh, compared to their rivals, but these aren't cars that an 18 year old can afford, but looking at youth and generations and all those things, Graham, I would say that, Jordan at whatever he is, 27, 28 years old, uh, him having a fun persona, this alternate ego of his, something that might interest a younger demographic in Corvette in ways that, you know, they might have only associated it with their father or grandfather or grandmother. I think this is a win. I think this is an audience that they've, never had that might 
learn about the cars or care about the cars in ways that they just simply had not before. So that's my piece of advisement. I really hope they don't touch a thing. Let him do it. If anything, maybe ask him to do more and amplify that because through Rodney, not necessarily Jordan, sadly, but through Rodney, a lot of people love to look into what happens in our world of sports car racing. And if I am Corvette, um, I'm almost feeling like I'm not paying enough. I'm getting two people for the price of one on that contract. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, there's not been a switch up from Corvette, the like of which in technology terms we're about to see in my living memory and, and yours, MP. Is this the moment where they've got that opportunity to embrace uh, an aspect of modern social media that, well, you couldn't buy it, could you? No, not at all. Okay, next one up. And in fact, we're going to have uh, two questions here. One is from Darren Dubois. The other one is from Joe Robert Sudduth. And it's about two very different drivers, both of whom have got, how can we put this, a variety of experience in the other part of your professional life away from the sporty cars. Uh, Darren asks, are you hearing Fernando Alonso's name being mentioned for Daytona 24 Hour Road again this year? And Jerry says, with the news that James Hedgecliffe is out of an IndyCar ride for the time being, are there any realistic options for him in IMSA next season? So on the first, I have heard rumor that the Fernando Alonso racing team could make an appearance at the Rolex 24 at Daytona. And if so, I would, I'm happy to reveal I've received the exclusive global rights to sell all merchandise for the Fernando Alonso racing team, AKA fart. So that is one area where I hope to uh, prosper heavily. Um, Darren, I haven't heard anything super new about that. Uh, I would say that it wouldn't surprise me that if he wanted to and clearance was given to do so, that uh, he would certainly be there. So, yeah. Uh, The only thing that makes me pause for a moment is Fernando seems to be on the bucket list tour. And so having run well at Indy, but not achieved ultimate success, I expect to see him back. That is unfinished business. Lamar, as we've seen, hey, that is finished business. Not headed back. He's now, he announced he'll be doing um, Dakar and whatnot. Great. That's another big ticket item for him to pursue. Having won the Rolex 24, I think this will be an interesting test. I know this isn't an answer for you, Darren, but I think this will be an interesting test or just demonstration of where his mind is at with motor racing. It looked like he had a lot of fun uh, this time around, not the year before with United Auto Sport. Unfortunately, the uh, the BOP just, uh, yeah, wasn't good for P2 teams, but seemed to enjoy himself. Uh, I don't know if he was overwhelmed with media requests this uh, this past January with Wayne Taylor Racing, but he seemed to enjoy himself, had the ultimate uh, result that he wanted. Will he pine for racing again and want to come back and do it just for the sake of enjoying racing? Or is he more in that bucket list mindset? All right, check this one off. Check that one off. Got Lamont, got Daytona. 
Now it's Dakar. It's Indy 500. Who knows what might come after that? So that's the thing I'm actually most interested to learn, Darren, is where is his mind at in this sport? And is there a passion to just simply race because he loves it? Or is it finishing off the things that he wants to have on his CV when he's done? To Jerry's question about Hinch, I do know for a fact that there's been outreach to him on the IMSA front. The thing that would concern me, and I mentioned this in my Week in IndyCar show, the listener Q&A show that just went up a couple hours ago, Hinch is not coming off of strength in IndyCar. So despite winning a race last year, 2018, and I again, I think he won a race the year before, and you know, I, I apologize, I don't remember exactly every one, but it has not been an amazing run for him at the uh, Aero McLaren SP team, and it has not been an amazing couple of years for the team as well. They were excellent with Robert Wickens' entry in 2018, but By and large, that team has had a lot of money and not necessarily delivered a lot with it. So combine those two, Hinch, who hasn't looked like the same, holy cow, always a threat for the top five, top six, like he's been, uh, was beforehand. And a team that's been on a middle ground while everyone expects them to be higher just means that in the marketplace hasn't really commanded the type of interest that he would need to be in IndyCar in a full-time ride. He's going to have to fight and scrape to find partners and sponsors to make something happen to stay there. So the reason I'm sharing this, Jerry, is if he heads to IMSA, we're never going to see him in IndyCar again. He might pop up for the Indy 500, very good at the Indy 500, but since he's not in a position of strength and victories and being regarded as a true holy cow threat at every round in IndyCar, if he goes to IMSA, that will be something received by IndyCar's team owners as a mental downshift. Okay, well, you're going to head over there and do that. This is great. There are IndyCar team owners, as we know, Graham, that compete in IMSA. Yep. But at least the way things work in IndyCar which over here in the States is regarded as the top form of racing, most diverse, the fastest, the craziest. I mean, there you have to be a genuine nutcase to race in IndyCar and, and much less win. There is still a bit of a stigma of, oh, okay, well, regardless of why you're going to IMSA next year, oh, okay, well, maybe you're downshifting a little bit and uh, we're not seeing you as that same truly competitive hunter killer type uh, that we would want an open wheel so could that be the only major opportunity for him jerry yes but if it does happen yeah i fear that the days of james hinchcliffe indycar driver will be over last couple of three for uh emsa for the moment adam bowman says spirit of daytona dead or will we see them again need to follow up on that as well adam They have been in talks to run a third Mazda. I don't know if that has gotten any closer to being finalized, but that has been in motion for a little while now. Uh, When I wrote that story, I 
think it was August. I don't genuinely recall when I wrote the story that Mazda was looking to make its first customer car available. Uh, I could not include it in that piece then, but the team was Spirit of Daytona. So I think, think that is something that is going to end up working out. Just need to check in on that. Hi, Rock. I love you, pal. We're going to get you fed here sometime soon, buddy. But as you've known for the last eight years of your life since you've been on this planet, meowing a bunch isn't the thing that makes your afternoon lunch slash dinner happen. I also love the fact, by the way, Graham, Rocky is a regular participant in my weekend IndyCar show. Oh, yeah. All the time. Oh, yeah. He, oh, wow. he's, uh, he jumps up on the desk, puts his ass in my face, does all kinds of things, which is great. That's almost become an expected part of the week in IndyCar. Oddly, the last week or two, he just hasn't, you know, put two and two together. Maybe the word IndyCar hasn't stood out as much, hasn't jumped up. This is the first time he's really decided to insert himself in the week in sports cars, and I can remember in quite some time, so... It's James Hinchcliffe, isn't it? It's not IndyCar. It's James Hinchcliffe. It's his fault. He's Canadian. Got to be his fault. Oh, Lord. All right. Well, where else uh, shall we go before we wind we up? Two quick, uh, one quick one, one slightly longer one. Mike Christoph. Uh, John Doonan was raised on racing at Road America. Is there any chance he listens to what uh, Mike says? It's the overwhelming fan, fan interest in returning the IMS around at Road, uh, uh, Road America to four hours. Hashtag me personally, take an hour or two from Petite if total racing hours of the season is an issue. I, you know, I love the idea of two hours as you might have heard my chair squeak, which means I need to apply some JB80 lubricant, uh, by the way. I love the idea, that will never happen, of fan-assigned hours. So going into every season, maybe we just start with two hours, where fans can vote on two hours get assigned to any non-endurance round. I don't know whether... In Mike's scenario, it's a forfeit. Hey, welcome to the twenty, the the Rolex twenty two at Daytona, the Salins four at Watkins Glen. Again, I don't know uh, what I don't know exactly what that is, but I do love the idea of fans. A bit of a wild card that would be awesome. And this, I would I'm going to tell Dune the next time I speak to him. Think about this. I don't know if it's a good idea. It seemed like it was to me on November first uh, at. <laughs> 2.31 in the afternoon. Um, while spending, while spending the castle. Yes, while Rocky's yeah. starting to eat one of my fingers. I love the idea, actually, of fan-assigned hours. All right, we're going to give you two hours per year. You're going to vote. Now, granted, there you might have to take some rounds off of that possibility, right? The, uh, the IMSA visit to Long Beach, for example. Super tight window. It's not their event. It's IndyCar's event. Uh, so, you know, Detroit as well. I think the street courses wouldn't really be an option, but the others, your two hour and 40 minute, uh, rounds elsewhere. Yeah. I like, I like this. I really like this because what does that do in theory? It gives fans the opportunity to rally and support the thing that they love. And most fans already do that. Right. Graham. Whether it's buying T-shirts supporting Ryan Eversley and the uh, the Hart Racing Team, it could be a name whatever. I mean, uh, 
uh, the corrals filling, car corrals filling up with BMWs and Corvettes and poor. I mean, there's all manner of ways that sports car fans show their love in IMSA. I think this could actually become a fun little battle. All right, suckers. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, uh, those in and around the greater Toronto area, we need to rally and turn the visit to Canadian Tire Motorsports Park into more of an endurance event. All right, let's get those votes going and pick the other rounds. Monterey could be VIR for the GT only. I and mean, again, I love this idea. Truly do. So, but red hats with M R A G A making Road America great again. That'd be great. <sighs> yes, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call a small faction within. A small country and leader of a small country that was formerly a part of Russia to uh, to maybe see if they can do opposition research on other sports it. car series to uh, destabilize them uh, yep. in their bid to <laughs> somehow win this two-hour uh, selection here. I think, I think for the most part, they don't need the help to destabilize it. They'll just do it themselves. Last one hey. from, uh, for, <laughs> is from Dimitri uh, excuse me, Dimitri Kostaris from Facebook. Dimitri, that was my stripper name, Dimitri. actually. Yeah, absolutely. Dimitri. <laughs> um, Dimitri. Um, bear with this one. I've seen several of the classic games of broadcast on YouTube, Dimitri says, and the amount that motorsport broadcasting has evolved is really quite impressive. His question regards TV production. Why do American productions still, he says, cling to the vestigial elements of presenting the storyline, like Bob Varsha did at the beginning of the broadcast in the 80s? It's absolutely no offense to Bob. He's great. Why are there still so many goofy interviews with drivers and graphics to build the storyline that interrupt the racing? And why is there so much B-roll? With the current NBC, IMSA broadcast, the commentary talent isn't lacking. It certainly isn't. But the production, he says, is seriously flawed. I know uh, people complain about WC having too many shots of people staring at monitors. Yes, they do. Uh, but really, the production, he says, is far superior in presentation, showing the actual race develop continuously without distractions. Thank you for your comments, uh, Dimitri, about my performances. That's me speaking personally. I'm not going to repeat those. Hashtag me personally. Absolutely. You just did it. You committed. But, the cardinal uh, sin on our show wow, wow, wow. oh a bad man uh, but for example the wc style hourly recaps and race qualification graphics are something that developed the storyline better than a graphic after a commercial break that says storylines with a list can you discuss some specifics of the differences between the styles why do american producers still stick to the script for the 80s the difference in quality and approach is fast interesting isn't it i can't it speak to the style. why because I don't make those decisions. I believe there could, though, if I'm applying complaints and or worries that I know of, Dimitri, I might suggest that the multi-class racing is something that tends to concern those who have to present it. There's four types of classes. Uh, really, there's two types of cars, but even that's split into two different faction of those cars. So, huh, that's a little confusing. I think there's it, it also, is. Graham, the belief or the hope that there are, since you do have that built-in multi-class, multi-driver 
form of competition in IMSA that the need to the belief that you need to overserve and oversimplify with explainification with explainificating everything I believe that's where this might come from. Again, I'm not saying this from inside knowledge, but just looking from the outside, I think that might be it. And I would just compare that to, we'll just go back to IndyCar because it's easy. One car, one driver, there you go. You'll get, forget Indy 500, Le Mans, forget the Rolex 24 intro and some of the, you know, the keystone events where you know that there's a, a bigger audience turning in that, might not be experts at what they're watching. I think at the average IndyCar event, the lead-ins are pretty simple. There's not a lot of cut-ins either that you would consider distracting or ill-fitting. It is the case where you get more of that in sports cars, in IMSA for sure. There's also something a little bit different that's done as well. Maybe this is the third pillar, and then Graham will hand this off to you. The third pillar is IMSA's manufacturers and major brand partners pay for the whole thing. All that TV that happens is because major companies are writing checks. And in some instances, the return on uh, investment is delivered in the form of a proper traditional commercial. Here's our thing. We're going to tell you to buy it. 30 seconds one minute, whatever it might be. In others, you get the, and hey, here's the tech minute with pick whatever it might be. And you peel off to this often pre-produced item about a car, an oil, a tire, a whatever it might be. I'd say you add those up and it starts to feel like, boy, we're just kind of breaking away and not honoring the purity of competition and letting the viewer detect their own storylines i would say that is that is one thing that it's the way we do it i'm not saying we should but i think that there are some a fears it's complicated it's strange it's different than hey nascar going around in a circle one person per car got it this seems mindset wise to be something that folks want to need to hammer you with with uh, little pieces of information and breaking in there. And I'd also say, Graham, that I've yet to hear the willingness to try something different. Let's try and deliver this. Let's, we're going to do an experiment, pick around, and maybe we're not going to do that. Just to see, like truly, I don't know, let's experiment. Pick a round, obviously not one of the endurance rounds, but pick a round and... Maybe you streamline things. Um, I can tell you that there were some really positive notes. Uh, one or two IndyCar races that come to mind from this last season, where for whatever reason, instead of having some sort of pre-race show, uh, maybe there was a, another sport that was just wrapping up as the race was about to start. So TV scheduling wise, it just bumped right into the IndyCar race. It felt like, from the moment, say, it started, the broadcast started at noon, it felt like at 3 o'clock the guys were charging into turn one. I mean, it was just this kind of slam bang. Here we are. It's this race. Uh, so-and-so is on the pole. Go! And the reaction <laughs> was really, really favorable. 
So part of me wonders if maybe, to Dimitri's point, maybe we can shake things up a little bit. Maybe folks are smarter than we give them credit for. It, it is an interesting one. And having not been part of a U.S. telecast, it's a difficult one to comment from the inside. I can tell you from my experience with what I've done with multiple different series and the way that we've tried to do that, the closest I've probably come to calling a race in that environment was probably the three years I worked with Richard Crail and John Hindoff doing the Bathurst 12 Hour, where it's terrestrial television. There's a lot of ad breaks to cut, uh, cut into. I think from memory in that 12 Hour show, 48, which is about one every 15 minutes. It might have been rather more than that, but I seem to remember the number 48. Um, So you're constantly preparing for or coming out of an ad break through an entire 12-hour show, and that then becomes a matter of how do you punctuate that show and keep people up to speed. I happen to think that the way we develop storylines for WEC, particularly nowadays, would work very well for US TV and that terrestrially based ad break, um, uh, you know, uh, to and fro. I, I think that would be an interesting one to see whether or not they can rely a little less he- heavily on the kind of um, graphic-led, you know, stirring music, sports jacket type um, uh, vibe. And I think it probably is right now that we look, all of us, at changing it. We are at the moment changing it, as people have, uh, have commented, for good and for bad with WEC, new graphics package that a lot of people like and a few people really don't. Um, and we are doing a lot more in the background. Bizarrely enough, bumped into Alan McNish at Portimao last weekend. It's easy to do. He's very small. We don't it's tiny. Hard to, hard to, over hard to see. And, you know, we um, actually we spent most of the conversation we had, me discussing with him about how I was going to deliver what's part of my job, which is to develop the storylines for that booth. I bring along um, ideas about the things that we could be talking about, about what develops the story as we move forward through the season. And that's, for me, a massive plus in the way that we're carrying that product forward. I, I don't criticize uh, for the most part, uh, on occasion we have, um, you know, editorial uh, or broadcasting style, because you know what? It's not the guys with the microphones to determine what that style is going to be. Um, the guys and the girls, by the way, with the microphones are determined to determine what the style is going to be. But I do think we've got a rapidly changing media marketplace, a rapidly changing uh, way in which people consume uh, that product. And I do think that from time to time, it's good just to take a risk and see whether or not that chimes with an audience. And I need to throw in one compliment here that uh, escaped me or I meant to mention uh, before handing this off to you, Graham. I have not listened to IMSA radio for a while now. I mean, uh, in, in select instances where I have not been able to get the NBC broadcast uh, have I say used uh, the XM? I believe during Petit Le Mans, I used some of that listening uh, to IMSA radio. Have not, you know, just have. It's something that I used to really enjoy. It's been a while since that's been the case. The one clear thing, though, that my friends on the NBC side need to pick up on that IMSA radio does very well is identifying the themes 
the developing items in the race, Jeremy Shaw in particular is excellent at this. Mm-hmm. Identifying emerging trends, sharing those with the listener base, and then sticking with it. So the the unique thing about endurance racing play-by-play, very different from any other form of racing commentary that I can think of is since I realize a two hour and 40 minute race isn't exactly super long, but I'm thinking more, you know, your average WEC race, your average, you know, your longer IMSA races. These are things that with three, four, five, 20 pit stops, countless driver rotations, tire changes, all of these things, strategy is a big factor. And so, while we might not need much in the way of identifying major themes as they're playing out during a 100-minute street race in IMSA, many of the other ones really do benefit from bringing the listener or viewer inside some very intelligent changes, some very intelligent decisions being done by teams to try and win the race. And again, that's very different from most other forms of racing because if we take Petit Le Mans and its 10-hour window, we're not necessarily talking about, hey, someone at hour nine just did something, and that could help them win the race. More often than not, it's something that they did prior to the green flag. Or an hour two, aha, well, interesting. The, you know, Maybe it's a, a pro-am class. They're holding their am driver until late so they're starting off the race pro 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 and just eking out a giant lead hmm what is is by chance was that the plan all along is that something they've adapted to and done on the fly let's go speak with them and find out or it could be the other way around we're going to make sure that we get in our ams drive time early and then we're going to bury them <laughs> you're never going to see them again because we're going to go pro to the finish uh it could be we were, everyone's going to double stint, but hey, they're going to try and triple stint their tires because they have intentionally placed, ordered their driver lineup with the fastest and most uh, sympathetic to tire use drivers behind the wheel so that they can get a third stint, whereas maybe most other teams can only get two. But this is something that we're recognizing this again in hour three or four, and we're going to stay with this and see how that plays out. And hopefully, as the team intends, alters the outcome of the race in their favor. IMSA Radio slash Radio Lamont has been exceptional in that regard for as long as I've listened to them. And so, if there's one thing I would say has been missing, Dimitri, on the IMSA side, it's the, I'm sorry, on the NBC Sports side, picking up this first season of IMSA coverage, a few too many times where I've noticed something and said, huh, uh, well, I'll be honest here. I've sent a few texts into some of the hosts calling the race saying, hey, you might look at this thing because for whatever reason, uh, either they're not seeing it or it's not being shared in their ear. So totally agree, Graham, that we don't need the beach up over the head with here's the themes and did you know that this brand that also sells things to people is involved in racing 
let's peel off for three minutes and have them tell us that they like racing and they sell things and you should buy them. Okay, great. Um, the taking the folks behind the curtains as to what's really happening with strategery. Uh, I think that would suffice more than the kind of blunt delivery system that we often see. Good stuff. Well, that's uh, IMSA for the moment. What's next, MP? Well, let's do more IMSA. Let's let's answer all of the WEC, <laughs> ELMS, and other questions as if they were IMSA ones. How, why don't we do that? No. Do an American accent. No, yeah, an American right. accent. Um, let's do this real quick, mate. Give me just one sec. I'm going to go run and check on my lady, and then I'll be right back. Yeah, go. No problem. All right, Graham Goodwin. It is time. We're not going to do IMSA version of Weck Aslam Elms ACO. We're just going to do it normal style, which means that I load my American shotgun. We're going to go double barrel. Questions Yeehaw. for you. Starting with Stephen Gate, given that Arden have withdrawn from the Formula 2 championship next year, are we now to assume that it is they who will run two Aston Martin Valkyries? in the WEC, given their obvious links to Christian Horner, Red Bull, and Aston Martin. Their official line was that they, quote, want to explore other avenues. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, They did indeed say that. And, of course, they are linked in with our motorsports through the GT3 program. But then again... My motorsports or our motorsports? Or your motorsports? uh, R, R as in R. Oh. Um, but then again, that is a three-way uh, arrangement between R Motorsports. Triple R. R. And Jota Sport. So Jota Sport, of course, have already got uh, prototype experience. Uh, this is going to be a really interesting one to find out how this all kind of works its way through. And certainly a- any kind of prodding of the Arden family to try to get any kind of confirmation has not revealed very much so far. It would be a perfectly fair conclusion to come to. Um, there's all sorts of balls up in the air at the moment in terms of hypercar, as we've already discussed some of them, and more still to come, I feel. So let's watch this space. Let's see what uh, we can do once we've got the various people involved here uncontrollably drunk and uh, force them to actually tell us things they don't want to. Interesting. Uh, yet again, we're going to go to James Hewitt. Is there any news regarding any Australian wildcard entries for the Asian Le Mans series round at the bend? Personally, another foul. James, it's either hashtag me personally or nothing. You can't leave personally just hanging out there by itself. It's naked. Just putting his name in the book here. Yeah, but you said me personally, not in in an unironic fashion earlier, so I I don't think you're one to talk, pal. In fairness, mate, I'm just going down the the general political way at the moment of deflection. Ooh, ooh. Was that a a no Brexit me personally uh, deal? Or, well, never mind. We're going to leave all that alone. I think the the question you meant to ask me, Marshall, was... (laughs) All right. Uh, uh, So... Uh, clearly there's carbon monoxide poisoning going on here in my house uh james meant to say hashtag me personally i feel it would be a massive missed opportunity for any australian team that wants to jump on the aco ladder if they miss out so not only great question about aussie wildcard entries for the asian Le Mans series at the aussie hosted round 
Do you know about what do you know about that, Graham? But also the thing I'd love to know because my knowledge is lacking. How many Asian Le Mans series compliant cars other than GT3 that we might see in Aussie GT rounds? Just curious, what do we know in terms of just on the island population of prototypes in non GT3 cars that might get in and play? Well, the answer is beyond GT3 cars, not a lot. There is a proposal for an Australian LMP3 championship. But that, I think, is going to take some um, some help from the older style LMP3 cars that will be well, out of use now at the end of this LMS and Michelin and Mon Cup season uh, coming onto that second-hand marketplace. And in no small part, that's part of the picture that surrounds Asia Le Mans series Australian motorsport, etc. So principally, this is about uh, the GT3 cars that uh, are in the, in the Australian market uh, finding their way into the GT class, either for a one-off or for multiple races in the series. We have got a number of Antipodean drivers in LMP cars for the remainder of the series, so LMP2, LMP2M, LMP3, we are going to see some Australians and some uh, some Kiwis uh, in the series, and that's been the case from the very start. A lot of trouble was gone to to investigate the potential for adding uh, some of the Aussie GT cars in particular, either as full-season entrants, because it's, of course, outside their main season, or as wildcard entries for one or two or more races we'll get to see how successful or otherwise that's going to be i sincerely hope uh, that it's going to be successful because i do think that event at the bend could be uh, something of a game changer if uh, things go well it's not by accident by the way that the bend appeared on that list that wec put out for poll to their current um their current uh, teams they're looking to see whether or not there is uh, any kind of appetite amongst the WEC teams for a much longer haul uh, than the the current calendar. Uh, no sign, by the way, that the current calendar is going to expand further for WEC. I think there is every chance that we'll see Asian Le Mans, if the entries are where we hope they're going to be this season, looking to see whether or not there's any um, appetite for a fifth round in 2020, 2021, with Japan being the most likely reintroduction onto that calendar. We're going to go to Rob Horn, who says, now that the ELMS season has ended, Graham, who has been your underrated driver of the year across all the classes? How do you see the series developing next year? Uh, It's a good question. Underrated. um, I'll give you two drivers, not full pro drivers, uh, just because their performances at times uh, have been absolutely excellent. Uh, why is it LMP3? And I know there's a question about this effort, so I'll br- brush through this one very quickly. Martin Hipper. Uh, Martin, if you were to see him, you wouldn't think Martin is a skilled racing driver. Um, he's got... Uh, he's not got an athletic build, if we put it that way. If you're listening, Martin, I'm very sorry, but it's not an athletic build. He's a big bone guy, um, like me, with the kind of the square rim glasses. And uh, but boy, is he quick and a fantastic driver coach. He's been a big part of the Inter Europol um, push forward. I also happen to think you should concentrate on who are the best real gentleman drivers in any given period of time. And the two that I think uh, warrant a look there. One is Paul Lafargue, 
who is the champion this year with Edex Sports. Uh, there's father and son, Paul and Patrice Lafargue, that run Edex Sport. The other one is one of your boys, actually, MP, and it's John Falb. Um, two years ago, the LMP3 champion. And John has been very good indeed uh, in his first full year in LM, uh, full Gibson LMP2 and has clearly been enjoying himself. He ran as high as second overall through the melee um at uh, Portimao and I feel that if he sticks with it and he gets a good crew with him I think there's every chance we'll see John Farb moving on to do um, bigger and better uh, things he reminds me and this is a massive compliment by the way of a kind of bit of a latter day Simon Dolan Um, you know a very capable gentleman Mm. gentleman driver indeed that truly thoroughly enjoys his racing John Bennett another good one to actually point out in that kind of uh, and if you're mentioning those kind of guys in that company then John Falb you're doing a lot that's right I like me some John Falb seems like a good guy seems to really enjoy his racing brings the not always present high degree of passion to what he does as well and granted passion does not have to be something that's demonstrated to enjoy something i appreciate the fact that at least i haven't had a lot of interactions with john but he's always seemed to bring a real just a a heartfelt level to what he does and the fact that you can feel that i think that's pretty darn cool all right where we go you know where we're going and i'm surprised (laughs) we haven't had a parody account of a left turn lover but we will go to our pal our staple, our bay, right turn lover, who says, are there concerns regarding the way LMP2s are planned to be slowed down regarding car car slash hypercar cornering speeds? If it's revs only and allegedly the use of a high downforce kit at Circuit de la Sarth. Hashtag me personally as mental images of David Hennemeyer Hansen overtaking Kaz Nakajima and the Porsche curves on the outside. With ease. Ha, it's a fair point. I should say, by the way, I have so far not heard anybody else mention the possibility at all that part of the reeling in of the LMP2s at Le Mans might be that we don't have the low downforce kit. The only person I honestly have heard or seen commenting on that is me now it might be i'm missing something completely blindly obvious that it means it's the world's most stupid idea but i'm certainly not going to say my good swiss friend right turn lover that that is right there at the top uh, the top um paragraph of the list of things that might happen it just strikes me as being a perfectly sensible thing that might happen uh, but yeah we shouldn't forget just how capable these lmp2 cars are and the way in which they deliver their speed is pretty remarkable and a lot of the way in which they deliver their speed is by maintaining speed when they've got it that means they're very highly efficient in aerodynamic terms and they're very good in terms of maintaining that momentum and you're right if they if they've actually got to go ahead of speed up and they've got the high downforce we could well see some spectacular things at certain parts of the track and you know what I hope they allow it to happen because we just saw a flash, didn't we, at the start of the uh, race at Fuji with the way in which the kind of performance handicap system in LMP1 was beginning to come to bear. And we've now got the values for uh, Shanghai, and it's going to make life even more difficult for the Toyotas. With the LMP2s in the mix at times, as they often can be to do with their top speed, um, I just think it just adds 
ever more opportunity for a kind of confounding factor in a race. If it's difficult to get by those cars, or indeed those cars are actually snapping at your heels to get by you themselves, that's, to my mind, just more entertainment. Um, so uh, I, th- I don't think you're quite right, but I don't think you're entirely wrong either. I think we're going to see some pretty extraordinary things in the years to come as the, as the, uh, the top prototype classes hypercar whatever that's going to be called lmp2 and for that matter what we now know about the performance characteristics of the new lmp3s those performance characteristics in WEC, in case of lmp1 whatever it's going to be called and lmp2 and lmp2 and lmp3 in the lms are going to conflate and to my mind that's going to make life trickier and possibly more entertaining i love it I love it. All right, we're going to go to, where should we go? Holger Opelt. Don't know if I missed it on last week's episode, so I'll ask again. With LMP2 class possibly slowed down via the rev limiting we just discussed, does this apply for WC only, or could this also apply across ELMS, Asian Le Mans series, etc.? Wondering if changes to the mothership of LMP2 competition that will be going head to head with hypercar if there might be a plan to just apply those blanket changes across all ACO slash WEC governed LMP2 series where the cars can be. It's a, it's a good question and for an obvious reason, which is, of course, the LMS series will start before we ever see um, the hypercars. My understanding is that for the 2020 season, there will not be a slowing down of the LMS cars because, of course, the only place where by entry, other than one-offs, they will meet the WEC cars is going to be at Le Mans. Of course, at Le Mans, the same rules would have to apply. But my understanding at the moment is that the ELMS cars will retain the same rev limits they've currently got. Uh, And it will be the WEC cars from the latter part of the year that will see that reeled in with the ELMS cars following suit in 2021. I hope that's clear. And one would presume the Asia Le Mans series from not this coming season, but next season. So everything would effectively come together um, with the same kind of rev limits applied when you get to calendar year 2021. That could change. It could be that there's different solutions finally arrived at. But at the moment, I believe the answer is ELMS stays as it is for 2020, uh, that the uh, LMP2s in the WEC and the Asia Le Mans series would change for 2020-2021. And there we go. Questions, answers. This works well. Uh, James Counter says, success balance in ACO racing. Says the first season of its use is now complete. What do you make of it? Um, it's had an impact. It's not been a massive, massive impact. It's been a point to comment upon. It's a point to explain why at various points, particularly we're talking here in terms of GTE, principally in ELMS. And, of course, we've now got the emerging success handicap with LMP1 in WEC. Um, I mean, ultimately, we're in a different world now. We're in a world of balance of performance and equivalence of technology and you know, grids that sometimes are struggling to actually um, pull a, a full season together in terms of close competition. 
I think you've just got to embrace it. You know, we could spend our entire waking lives moaning about it and moaning about the next thing, and I'm not very keen on gimmicks. I will tell you that uh, Johnny Palmer and I that uh, commentate on the European Le Mans series, generally speaking, we've explained where things are in terms of ballast at the start of the race. We might have commented maybe once or twice in four hours, but it absolutely has not been a, you know, every waking moment's obsession of the story behind it. It has just been a factor. It's the same with the LMP1s. That is going to be one of the stories of the race. Otherwise, you wouldn't have seen the the close action at the start of Fuji. That's going to be a developing story. And at some point, we may or we may not see a kind of tipping point with uh, one or more of the cars in LMP1 and where they kind of fall off a bit of a, a, a cliff in terms of either their performance or the way in which one component or another of the package uh, responds to those changes. So it's, to my mind, it makes my, my job a little more challenging. It makes it a little more interesting. And it's another of those kind of challenges to just try to explain, because that's my job, what you, the viewer, or you, the listener, is listening to or seeing. And I embrace it. I quite like the fact that we've got something a bit different to play with. Quit playing with different things, you sicko. (laughs) Uh, All right. We're not too far from the end here of Weck Asm Elms Echo. We're going to go to Lick. 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 Lick Flippalody. Luke Philippone, who says, hello, Gents. He says gents, but I'll, while I'm mispronunciating things, with good with wrong years expansion to take over the Lop Dunn's presence in Aco Racing, any chance that IMSA is on the horizon in some form? Hashtag me personally, a Michelin wrong year DPI tire war sounds juicy. One can hope, right? Uh, Did I just confuse you with that question? I think keep hoping. What you're asking really is, is there a chance of Michelin and, and uh, not Dunlop, but now Goodyear going head to head? I'll explain, by the way, because there's a good reason why all this is happening. Um, the answer is DPI, absolutely not. That is not going to be a playground that's going to be open to anybody other than Michelin for the, for the period of uh, Michelin's um, exclusive tyre deal with IMSA. The one class it might come to is GTLM. And, you know, certainly I can tell you that Goodyear, Dunlop before them, have been actively seeking a customer. Uh, in fact, lots of uh, lots of customers they'd like in um, factory racing, both in top-level uh, sports car prototypes and, indeed, uh, as they did with Aston Martin Racing, with no little success uh, in the WEC in GTE Pro. So are Goodyear looking for opportunities? Yes, they are. Is there an opportunity still there in GTLM? Yes, there is. Am I announcing immediately that something's going to happen? Hell no. They've got um, their hands full at the moment with three matters. One is new range of tyres in WEC. Two is launching a new range of tyres into two classes in ELMS. Three is the ongoing process of the... Um, divvying up of exclusive uh, class tyre rights in the WEC moving forward. And I think that's coming to every class. We saw just today, MP, Michelin being confirmed as the hypercar tyre supplier. That's interesting for one particular reason. I'm not remotely convinced that theirs was the highest financial offer for that contract. Hypercar, you say? Indeed. James Counter asks, 
GG, when are they naming and voting on an actual car car name? I was thinking about uh, that as well, James. Well, I swear well, this was I'm, going to the fans. Maybe those fans was. turned out to be the folks who work at the WEC. <laughs> There's a lot of people within those committee rooms that are very keen on sports cars. So the answer is, it does appear there's been a change. Okay, <laughs> that's a surprise. Um, so what, what we've heard, and most recently that's come from an interview from the ACO president, Pierre Fion, with Le Mans Libre, which is the regional newspaper in La South uh, region. And one of the questions he's answered was about this very point, James. And his answer was that there will be a name um, emerging for the December uh, FIA World Motorsports Council meeting. So that is a change because you're absolutely right, MP. The original idea was at the beginning of this year um, that were going to be options offered for the fans to make a determination. That simply has not happened. So that is a fundamental change in terms of the process, not least uh, the timescale of that process. It has taken a lot longer to get to where we want to be than I think just about everybody would have liked. I would love to see some sort of contest, fan contest, to be the person who picks the alternate name because i know that we have car car maybe that is the official alternate name but uh we got to put something out there bodie mcboat face right yeah, Cardi McCar face come yeah, on absolutely even yeah. if it's never used uh still something do something don't suck that's my that's my message don't say you're going <laughs> to do something for the fans and then suck and not all right there we go on that positive note we're going to go to our pal john sable not so much a question why John's got the mic here. If I may, I'd like to put one foot up on the soapbox this week. Graham, who sponsors that soapbox? Uh, that would be Boucher's Hammer Emporium. Exactly. Hammers for you, for me, for everyone. John says, hashtag me personally. I do not want to see DPIs at Le Mans. Combining differently regulated cars in one class doesn't work. It didn't work when IMSA combined DP and LMP2, and it won't work at Le Mans. It's technically very difficult. Plus, why the hell would the French allow a bunch of relatively inexpensive DPIs come in and beat highly funded, manufacturer-backed car-car programs? They're not. I, too, would love to see DPIs running at Le Mans, but not like this. The sooner we move on from this pipe dream, the better. We're talking about sports car racing, not Brexit. Is that right? That's right. That's exactly what we're talking about. I think the answer is... I, I hear I hear exactly what you're saying, and I'm I'm not going to absolutely disagree with you. It is not um, an ideal scenario. However, my view is if you're going to embrace what is going to have to be a highly complex, wide-ranging balance of performance process to balance hybrid and non-hybrid. Um, prototype-based and non-prototype-based cars in a single class, you might just as well go the whole hog and see whether or not anybody else can come and play. I, I agree to a, to, a, to a degree, John, but the fact of the matter is to get where we need to get to with hypercar opens the door to discussion of other possibilities. Now, without knowing the exact formula they're going to apply, I don't know how realistic or otherwise a gathering of the clans might be. What I would say is you would have to be 
um, an idiot not to consider this as at least as a possibility if you're the governing body and looking to secure not just a Le Mans entry, but a full season WEC entry of quality with OEM uh, manufacturer uh, uh, organizations and campaigns coming together. I'll say it one more time. This might be the last time we get to make that choice in this current era of automotive history. And it might very well be that we're looking for increasingly few manufacturers to fill those gaps on a grid. That's why I suggest uh, that this might be an idea with merit, not necessarily just because I'd like to see, you know, a Cadillac storming down the Mulsanne. Um, I would quite like to see a Cadillac storming down the Mulsanne, but that's not going to keep me awake at night. What keeps me awake at nights is the fact that we're going to get fewer and fewer manufacturers with current technology uh, ready, willing, and indeed financially able uh, to pony up for an international sports car program. It's going to get more difficult. You know, it's only this week we've seen PSA, the uh, French organization that includes Peugeot and Citroën. Peugeot, of course, have been mentioned uh, recently as a potential um, badge on a customer program for a hypercar um, in the future. They now own Opel and they also own Vauxhall, the ex-GM uh, Europe marks, and now are in talks with Fiat Chrysler. What, that, what does that mean in terms of the future for the part of the sport that I actually love? I don't know. Is a straight answer, but I do know it's probably not good in terms of the potential for more than one of those makes to be in one place um, at the same time. So what it is doing is restricting the options for the, uh, the various companies within that what would be a very extensive group, restricting the options for more than one of those to be active at one time. And by the way, here's one for you straight away. That would mean that if that goes through with what we already know is likely to happen or might possibly happen, we're talking about rebellion, potentially. And I, frankly, I think it's a big stretch, the uh, stories that have been written on this, but potentially, maybe possibly looking at Peugeot as a partner for a customer hypercar, and on, uh, within the same group, Alfa Romeo uh, providing the engines for Clickenhaus. That's a lot of stuff. Isn't it? I did, though, make a mental note when you said you'd have to be an idiot. And I believe I've shared uh, this story before, but that word has actually had significant meaning in my life since I was about seven years old. I'm confident I've shared this before on the show. I'm just going to share it again because it comes to mind whenever I hear the word idiot. So I would have been about seven years old. We were at a little, what we call here, five and dime stores, just a little convenience store with a variety of things you can buy uh, that just, you know, quick convenience items. And there's a little newsstand. I remember picking up, might've been an issue of mad magazine or something like that. And was perplexed by a word. My mother happened to be walking over towards me, and I stopped her and pointed to the word on the page and said, Mom, what does idoit mean? <laughs> okay. And she she just looked and, and just had that, that you're mine? This is, this is what I got? This is what I created? Look in her eye? And she said, it's idiot 
And idiots. Yes. Um, so yes, whenever I hear the word idiot, I think I doit because somehow that? that's what my eyes made out of it. And then just that look at my mother looking up at her, her looking down at me just with the, do I tell him it's going to be hard from here on out or uh, do I just, just, just try not to let him in on the secret we're all been dealing with. So yeah. Um, you know, was that the very first Marshall Pruitt self um, created word? It, it might have been. It might have been. I remember. I remember there was a baseball player for the local San Francisco Giants. I don't recall his full name, but he was somewhat well known. I'd heard his name mentioned on countless broadcasts, radio, television, and his name was Mark. Mark something or other. This would have been in the seventies. And I remember seeing his name in print for the first time. It would have been around the same age. I will admit I am very mildly dyslexic. I'm not raising my hand as someone who has significant issues uh, contending with the orders of words as they strike my eyes. But I do. uh, I think this might have been an early window into the fact that sometimes letters got jumbled up. Uh, Nonetheless, this wasn't a case of letters being jumbled. This was just me being dumb. I remember seeing his name on the page, and instead of the traditional spelling here in the U.S. of M-A-R-K, it was M-A-R-C. And for the life of me, I could not figure it. Mars? Is this Mars? How weird that the Giants have two guys. Uh, their first name is starts with the letter M. They have the same last name. One is Mars. One is Mark. <sighs> My mother explained to me that, no, that that C is pronounced as a K and gave me another look of either this child is just going to be permanently challenged or the American educational system is failing badly. Might have been a case of both coming together, Graham. I don't know. But, yeah, these little stories, man, they're kind of just they're they're little timeline entries in my world. Never anything less than love. I'm sure that's oh, the case, mate. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Joshua Ponce as we get to our last couple of WEC related goodies. Gents, as the release of the movie Ford versus Ferrari is nearing, I can't help but to think about the glory days in endurance racing and how things were done some 30 ish years ago before I was born. My question is should motor racing or car car or hypercar just be a run what you brung to the track type formula and showcase new automotive technology while still being competitive? for the drivers and entertaining for the fans. Uh, well, Joshua, this is yeah. something that I say all the time. Uh, yes, I agree. The reason we don't have that Graham is fear. Uh, it's going to cost too much. Yeah. And yeah, the, the racing will be bad. It won't be balanced. I'm not going to climb back on our Bushu hammer emporium soapbox. Cause I've dedicated too many hours of that on this show and others, but yeah, Joshua, there's certainly just this. We're stuck in this fear of difference in motor racing and everyone's going to run away if it's too expensive. Well, we've seen in the past that guidelines can be written for racing. That's really fun and compelling with a lot of differences allowed. And if someone gets too far ahead, some mechanisms to pull them back into the general framework of their competitors, but without quote penalizing them for doing a better job than the rest. There's I think this, there's, a, there's, a, there's an additional part to this as well, which it's not a very nice reason to have to quote, but it is a real reason, which is if uh, uh, the, the, the um, examples of recent 
uh, time have, have proven this to be an issue. If you get to the stage where cost starts to accelerate and one manufacturer starts to be predominant and you start to lose uh, manufacturer entries, that has uh, a well, statistically significant impact on the amount of money coming into that championship and to that organizing body and their wider budgets. If you lose a manufacturer or even two, it's a massive, massive hit. And they don't want to risk that. So actually, there's this self-fulfilling prophecy that balancing performance becomes more and more important because of the fiscal commercial impact that not balancing performance potentially has on the race organizers themselves and there you go yeah i mean the 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 underlying tone here and i believe history will bear this out is 20 years from now joshua for those like yourself and many others who might be listening, who come into their love for sports car racing, racing in general, after the kind of open tech, run what you brung, big ideas are allowed eras. Um, I think we're going to look back in 20 years' time, assuming that you might have come in while LMP1 and the hybrid era was, was raging. I think you might look back on those cars in that era with a particular fondness that could be missing with some other forms of sports car racing. And that's because while if you love really great hardcore racing, LMP2 is an amazing thing to watch. Le Mans in particular, right, Graham? It seems like uh, half of the field are LMP2s. And it's just hammer and tongs and amazing and yada, yada, yada. Those things are great. I don't know if folks are going to be able to exactly recall who entered what dark or light colored Areca 07 (laughs) 20 years from now. What exact team name? Because there's a lot of them and they don't all necessarily jump out. The driver lineups. Oh, okay. I mean, again, no disrespect, but there's so many of these, frankly, generic prototypes run by high-quality teams, but, again, not a lot of them really stand out uh, with a lot of drivers who are very good. But, again, the cars, while quick and impressive, aren't so fearsome that only the finest can extract 100% out of them. I think then you look at maybe the GTE Pro category, and realize that these are some very different cars. They've come up with ways to make them run together. The BOP is always wrong, so there's always one or two models that are just getting kicked in the behind. But nonetheless, you'll see some raging battles there that stand out in ways that maybe uh, the GTE AM class might not uh, due to greater restrictions, et cetera, et cetera. I just think, again, we're going to look forward in 20 years, Joshua. You might, might be saying, boy, I remember with the most fondness, the times where the cars were less regulated, more more different-er, there's greater disparity, greater fun, greater differences. Not everybody was running the same exact lap time, and that's okay because, boy, I saw extraordinary things done by Nick Tandy in the wet in 2015 or, 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 and add a bunch of other things. I, I just... Um, I know this to be true from my own life, Graham. 
that the eras where whatever form of racing was less restricted, it might not have lasted as long, but man, the memories were much, much greater. So I assume that that might be the case for many others too. Let's, um, let's get to the last couple here. And then I think we're going to wind up pretty quickly after that. Let's go to Geronimo Lezos. Great question. Uh, should have posed this sooner. After another awesome and entertaining ELMS race, the post-race penalty applied that made Inter-Europol lose their LMP3 title, dot, dot, dot. What is your take on this, Graham? Says from the live transmission, I seem to remember that many teams were confused about their driver stints, uh, drive time being the issue here because of the extended red flag period. Hashtag me personally. I don't think it was bad, a bad will or an attempt at making an advantage. Also says, thanks. You guys are great. So uh, break this down a little bit for those who aren't aware, and then give us your thoughts. Because it happened. seemed wonky, my man. It was very wonky. So we had uh, an extended red flag period for a very serious accident. And I'm just going to mention here, by the way, if you are following what we do, have a quick look at Twitter uh, through United Autosports um, tweets today. We're recording this on Friday, late on Friday evening here in Europe. And there is a GoFundMe page for um, Christian England, who was quite seriously hurt in that incident. It's to do with the hospital he was taken to, uh, not being a public hospital, but a private hospital. Christian needs a bit of help with those medical bills. It was a very serious injury indeed for Christian. Um, So there's a lengthy red flag. Um, Confusion about what applied in terms of driver times, because the red flag was out, but the clock was still running. There was a table issued by race organizers that gave um, driver times for uh, particularly for the bronze uh, ranked and silver ranked drivers. It has to be said, it was not the most clearly written document I've seen in my life. And at least two teams were confused by it, or at least didn't think they were confused by it, because frankly, if they thought they were confused, they wouldn't, wouldn't have actually made the choices. One team actually thought that they didn't have to put their uh, highest-ranked driver into the car. That team was ultimate. They were not penalized for not doing that. In fact, obviously put themselves at a disadvantage by not doing that. Into Europol believed that they've read, uh, believed and still do believe they've read their rule book correctly and that because the cars under the red flag gathered on the start-finish straight and were not brought down the pit lane, that the driving times for uh, their drivers were skewed as a result of that. They still believe they're correct, and they will be taking that to uh, the FIA court in defense of their position. Why are they going to go that far? If you don't follow ELMS, uh, what you may not realize is in getting the 14, sorry, 16-minute penalty, nine-lap penalty that resulted in that, that didn't just lose them the race, it lost them the championship and it lost them an automatic entry to the Le Mans 24 hours. It's a very serious hit for that team. Um, So do I think they uh, were trying to game the system? 100% they were not. They absolutely believe they're correct and they point in their defense to the fact there is a specific difference between the regulations on this matter for the WEC and the ELMS, and it refers to where driving time is calculated from. And there is a phrase in the regulations that talks about driving time from the green light, if you like, green flag, to the pit lane entry. Here's the point. Because the cars gathered on the, on the grid, 
they didn't go into the pit lane. So what they're looking for now is effectively a legal interpretation of the interpretation that was made by the stewards of driving time. They believe that that was an incorrect uh, instruction. They think they're right. It's going to be for a court to, to actually sort that one out for them. Yay! Lawsuits, courts, and sports cars! <laughs> All right, we're going to get to the last couple here. Daniel Summersgill, are there any plans to increase the overall entry to the 2020 24 hours of Le Mans, or is that not possible until the renovation of the pit buildings uh, that were previously announced have been completed? And Daniel has it's, another question I'm saving to yep. close. Right. It is possible, but it won't happen. So it's possible with some more uh, work, but that's going to be of limited use in the, in the interim period. So again, something confirmed in that Le Mans Libre uh, interview this week. Uh, it will be 62 cars and no more than that for 2020, confirmed by Pierre Fion. And the the uh, the changes to the pits will be started after Le Mans Classic next year. That's every two years. That'll be in July. So after the Le Mans 24 hours, we'll have Le Mans Classic, and then they will start the major works on the pits complex that is due for completion for the 2023 race, the centenary race. I am going to go to our man, Jacob Bame. Hey, Jacob. It says, with the second-generation LMP3 cars hitting the track, next year in the elms do you know of any major changes regarding teams chassis choices um well first of two pieces on daily sports car and what will be a quite an extensive piece we're going to be submitting to racer.com on dsc today we have the chance to see the the new ligier two of those cars and the new decane one of those cars at portimao on monday uh, i've not yet seen the Ginetta running but that car ran in uh, the uk last week i believe um and we've not yet seen the ADES, but I'll be publicizing some test dates for teams interested in the ADES uh, very soon. There are a lot of things up in the air, and for reasons that will become obvious when we put the story up that's probably going to be on DSC on Monday, I'm not going to tell you who's buying what quite yet. We do know some of them. When enter Europol and United Autosports have gone for the, uh, the Ligier, uh, Ligier and Duquesne seem to have a fair number of customers. I'm aware that uh, Ginetta have at least one customer uh, for their car, uh, but there's a long way to go yet. These are the cars that will be eligible in the ELMS uh, in the Michelin Le Mans Cup, and rather bizarrely, in the Michelin Ultimate Cup, which is effectively the series that replaced the V to V in Europe. So the days in frontline competition in Europe for the current breed of LMP3 cars are done. The one place, by the way, we're not going to see the new cars, which we might have seen them earlier, was there was a possibility that we could have seen at least a couple of the the, uh, the new cars for the Gulf 12 hours at Yas Marina in December. That will no not any that will no longer happen for all sorts of reasons linked in with some homologation difficulties across the board. So yes, there's a rapid uh, marketplace developing for the new cars. Lots of those decisions being made on the basis of the teams getting hands on those cars for testing and that process is very much underway right now the the duquesne by the way is at uh is at paul rickard this weekend shown to the uh teams in the ultimate cup uh they did a day and a half and a few problems with the car at portimao 
uh, the Ligiers uh, did three days and 20-plus uh, drivers making their way through the seats of one brand-new car and one upgraded car from an old JSP3 chassis. Boom. You kicked the living poop out of the penultimate ah. question. We're going to go back to Daniel Summers Gill for the final in this category. As Rocky lets us know, he is mad and wants to be fed. He's actually the clock for the show. I think I've got 10 minutes before I'm done. Um, Daniel says, with Jensen Button announcing his departure from the Super GT series this week and rumors of a new manufacturer considering GTE, is that Honda? What are the chances of a return to the WEC? Hashtag me personally. He has unfinished business in the WEC and Le Mans. He would be a major asset to the championship. So, I can tell you what, Jensen, what do you know about I can this? Tell you what, well, let me talk about the, uh, the, the latest information I have on the Honda rumor is that that's not a thing. So Honda do not look to be actively involved in considering a GTE program. As far as Jensen's concerned, um, I can tell you exactly what Jensen's told, told me, told me personally about it, which is he'd love to come back and compete for overall wins in the WEC and at Le Mans. He wasn't very impressed with the balance between the SMP uh, car that he was uh, driving in WEC and the Toyota hybrids, and why would he be? Um, but uh, yes, he would like to come back and compete for wins at the highest level in sports cars, and I think he'd be an asset. Um, he was blindingly quick at times in that uh, Dallara chassis uh, BR1, and I think he'd be very welcome back. When Jensen's on form, he's a joy to have in the paddock, uh, but he certainly wasn't loving it by the time that that campaign for him ended. What about the major asset part? I ask that not because I dislike Jensen, quite the opposite. I think he's just fabulous. Curious, though, a couple years now out of his Formula One career certainly it's been great to have him in japan i know he's been very popular there do you think a jensen button moves the needle outside of a silverstone weck round or a fuji weck round do you think a jensen button moves the needle in any demonstrable way if he were to sign with a i guess i would say a front running team most likely in hypercar because again i'm glad that he got you know Signing for SMP, for example, it's great, but not exactly a, a program that's going to be uh, the subject of lots of television time during a broadcast. Just curious, do you think he could still move the needle now, even though his star isn't the same that it was in F1, and it would subject to placement in specific teams be the thing? If, if for instance, we're talking, if we were talking about exactly the same calendar we have this season for the WEC, it's a perfectly fair question, MP. Absolutely, he puts people on the gate at Silverstone without a shadow of a doubt. Absolutely, he puts people on the gate in Japan. Massive popularity for Formula One there. Absolutely, it does the same for the Le Mans 24 Hours. He's still a very popular personality in motorsport circles in the UK, and the UK provides the biggest traveling uh, fan contingent at Le Mans year after year after year. And the fourth that I would add there is I strongly suspect it would be the same in Brazil as well, again, with a massive fan following for Formula One and an ex-world champion. You would be able to get closer to him at a wet race than you would ever have been able to do at a Formula One race, and that's not lost on a very large number of fans. 
before you go into looking at the other races, that's already half the races in the season where you could reasonably expect to get some return on your investment from employing him. That might be enough. Boom. We're done. You're the official chooser. I'm not kidding about worrying about whether I'm going to get eaten here. As I don't want to be Rocky's dinner, why don't we give ourselves <laughs> about five minutes to weave through general and fun? I'll you take take them, throw them, tell me which ones to read, and then let's I'm say farewell. Lob, I'm going to lob two at you from the general category, both of which are around Trans Am. One's from Joe Izzo, and the other is from James Counter. Uh, talks about Trans Am announcing a category for the older GT3 cars. What do we think? Hashtag me personally. James says he likes the idea. Do we think more series should do something similar? Perceived, he believes Creventic series have a similar approach. They do. Joe says, what do we think about the latest announcements? Could pro drivers wind up there with their knowledge of these cars? Last week, you were talking about spiraling costs for GTD. Could they look at uh, uh, allowing older GT3 cars for car counts? Hmm. I read that with a similar take oh that's smart not sure how big the no longer welcome gt3 herd happens to be in you in the u.s not sure how many unwelcome gt3 cars are are awaiting uh, a new platform where they can race but clearly they would not make this decision if they'd not done their due diligence graham to look around and ask say hey you got one cool would you come if we did this all right so i i like this not as if a out of current homologation gt3 car is some sort of technical dinosaur or most importantly safety dinosaur so in that regard i think this is really really smart and i know that there was you know another question of why trans am looks awesome why isn't it more popular just keep in mind that it is owned by private businessmen and they're doing their darndest to grow it and create an overall motorsports festival type scenario here. Uh, Tony Perella, uh, he who now I believe has sole control of Trans Am, is the the founder owner of SVRA, uh, vintage racing organization. They do big things. Um, I mean, Tony's trying to create a pretty cool thing here. We know that there are a number of Trans Am rounds where it's independent, but there are some instances, which I think are the best, where you turn up and see amazing vintage racing cars plus Trans Am cars. Uh, these modern silhouettes also, you know, some homologated production-based cars as well, like the aforementioned uh, GT3 stuff. So it's a pretty cool thing they're creating. It's just not, say, the owned by NASCAR and therefore has much greater marketing reach and presence in television as IMSA would have. So, yeah, it, it continues to fall, Graham, in the best-kept secret for North American sports car racing. Having grown up watching Trans Am cars, I can tell you that, yeah, a silhouette, <laughs> a silhouette, two-frame silhouette sports car with gobs of horsepower, not enough grip. It's just a formula that always works. And while today's Trans Am cars aren't exactly the same as the ones from the 80s and 90s that I fell in love with, they're still pretty darn amazing. So there's something here. Maybe it's just more in that cult phase right now. And I can only hope that they continue to grow more and become less of a, a secret passion and more of a, a higher profile one on a, frankly, not just international, 
capacity, but domestic as well. Uh, now I need to throw one or two at you. And Far away. Where shall we go? Uh, I'm not sure. We've got Damian Peachman who sent in three. Uh, okay. Yeah. They're all a little abstract. Um, so I'll throw it. <laughs> he sent this to me, but I'm going to throw it at you because I can. Uh, Marshall, what's the car that are not in GTLM or GT3 that you would like to see become one, using the number one, and it can be anything you like? Question mark? Um, yeah, cool, we got a little bit of syntax and sentence structure going on there, Damien. So, um, That's fine. Yeah, so Graham, what not GTLM, GT3 you like to see that not there anything that you like? <laughs> um, IMSA needs a leg up without a shadow of a doubt in GTLM at the moment. Uh, therefore, you need a great American mark back into racing. And great American marks, and with a little bit of heritage, in other words, something that's a kind of classic model, uh, I think we've got to learn the lessons of both tradition with that great mark and also of the current modern-day what cells and SUV cells, Pontiac, Pontiac Aztec, GTLM. There we go. You, uh, we're right there. Brought to you by, uh, brought, brought to you by Walter White. That, that's, that's what you want to do. You know, we'll take the last question, and I can answer it. Maybe you can, or we can both answer it, or none of us can answer it. We'll just leave lots of dead air. Uh, and this is from Travis Meyer, who says, Have you guys ended the Inside the Sports Car Paddock show? And the answer no. is... No. No. Uh, what I've ended is the ability to get the show together and so i got to get it back um and i have great intentions i'll be very honest here travis every week for the last four weeks since we've moved i've written a note on monday morning of content to generate and things to do and the initials itsep inside the sports car paddock have been on that list and i have failed miserably so, funnily enough, I believe we have interviews from, what, the Silverstone Weck race and Fuji Weck race uh, that we need do. to be rolled in. But, but, and I also have gonna, a, gonna, a good one with Jeff I'm Brown. Roll in here. Uh, Jeff I'm Brown. Roll in here. Okay, but I'm button in before you, you butt in. I have no, no, one with Jeff Brown as well <laughs> that needs to lead off from two months ago. So, uh, yes, isn't gone, but tell us no. when it might be back and what we might have. Well, I'm going to butt in right here and now. I'm going to say it is a perfectly fair question, Travis, but I'm going to say right here, right now, not for a single second have I been in any way concerned that the show has not been around over the last few weeks and months. You have had your hands full, as indeed has your lady, and we will find uh, a route back to getting this back to be a weekly show, but it will come when you're good and ready, and that's fine. And I don't think there's a single person would think uh, think different than that. There is plenty of stuff that's going to be there on the stocks, including some stuff that we'll collect this week, uh, which will either find its way to podcast or it's find its way to the various web portals. But uh, be assured, Travis, there is a big plan moving forward with the Marshall Pruitt podcast, uh, with uh, the Weekend Sports Cars, inside the Sports Car Paddock, and a lot more. Um, and you will be in the right place to hear it for the first time if you keep tuning in every week to this show. There is? That's awesome. you got to tell me about that, man. I, uh, no, I'm not worried about that. No. 
All right. Well, yeah. But uh, all, in all seriousness, and all of that was fun trying to butt in with your butt in with my butt in. Or was that a butt back? I don't know. Um, yeah. Need to get this done. And I've even had to apologize to our pal Jeff, Mr. Good Old Jeff Brown, and say, Jeff, yeah, so sorry, man. Uh, I suck. So we've got to get back on this little train. Funnily enough, next week, brutally bit, brutally busy. So I don't know if I'm going to get it done for next week, but I'm going to try. But yes, it's not gone. Just uh, what's on a hiatus? How's that? We're about to start the inside the sports car paddock super season. That's what it is. Uh, so yes, there was un- uh, that we, it was a pause between seasons. That's what it was. All right. Uh, I need to stop saying words with my mouth into a microphone and you need to go to sleep. <laughs> And uh, hopefully, you, you, need to feed the, you need to feed the cat, man. Yeah, you well, do need to feed the cat. I, yes, before I become cat food. Uh, I am Marshall Pruitt. That is Graham Goodwin. This is our little show. It's informal. We hope you liked it. If you didn't, can't really argue there. Uh, I am, more often than not, an idoit. And uh, we want to say thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers for their benevolence and ongoing support. And we'll look forward to speaking to you next week. I know where I'll be. I have no idea where you'll be, Graham, but we're going to record it and hopefully sooner than on a Friday.